Hello there, welcome to MMA Fight Club. I'm your host, Manuel Galarza. Today we're breaking down UFC Fight Night Hermanson versus Strickland, or also known as UFC Vegas 47. Just the main card. I apologize again this week. We've been so bogged up with other projects. Didn't get the full time to break down the, the entire card for you guys. We'll get the main card for you. Here our favorite picks to win each fight. Some prop bets, some over-unders, some specific spots, and of course the background information on each of the fighters. This event's coming up on Saturday, the 5th of February with a 4 p.m. Eastern start time. 13 total bouts on the card with the main event featuring Jack Hermanson versus Sean Strickland. No title bouts on the line, but a fairly decent card. I say decent out of full respect because some of these fights are probably... You know, prelim cards that are on the main card. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, with that said, let's dive right into it, guys. Here Next we go. Next up, we have a light heavyweight battle, 205 pounds, between Sam Smiling Alvey and Brandon All-In Allen. I'm going to make this very short and sweet. I can never support, bet on, or argue on behalf of a fighter who fakes the funk on a nasty dunk. <laughs> That's an old phrase. It's like the guy who's always trying to draw offensive fouls in basketball. I don't like those kind of players. A matter of fact, growing up in the eighties, I prefer NBA basketball when guys can, you know, be a little more physical and uh we didn't have technical fouls and flagrant fouls and flagrant one, two, and three. It, to me, the game has gotten soft. And watching Sam Alvey in his prior fights where he tries to fake getting hit in the groin to get points, I don't like it. <clears throat> Sam Alvey's a very well well liked guy amongst mixed martial arts like circles. Seems like a very nice guy, married, uh, respectful guy, trained at a good gym. All those things check out, but I'm watching the film. He fakes getting hit in the groin at times as a way to get a point and then has the audacity after the fight to like get all emotional and be like, I should have won over those related points. I just can't respect that. I can't respect the guy who tries to win fights by basically drawing offensive fouls. How about you go out there and win the fight? How about you go out there and punch the other guy, hit him, land some strikes, and finish the fight instead of faking groin shots, okay? I can go over the details of which fights I'm talking about. I'm going to leave that alone for now, but the point is this. I will never put a dime behind Sam Alvey. He could fight my sister. He could fight my, uh, my, uh, my little niece. I'm not betting on Sam Alvey, okay? He fakes groin shots as the way to try to win fights, period. As for Brandon Allen, he's no like <laughs> royalty by any means either. And he's got his glaring issues in his game and maybe fighting too soon after getting concussed in his last bout. I give it all that. But back to Sam Alvey, he fakes groin shots to try to win fights. Who does this? Okay, he basically is the guy trying to get a charge and then pick a basketball game. You know those guys who are like, that's an offensive foul. It's like, dude, dude, please, please. Either make some shots score some baskets, make a good pass, or get off the court. And for Sam Alvey, either win the fight with your hands and your ground game and your attack, your conditioning, or please do not fight in the octagon if you're looking to win fights based upon faking groin shots. That's my breakdown, guys. I'm on Brandon Allen to win the fight. He will win the fight. And anyone who's betting on Sam Alvey, you should just give that money to me. That's free money. Next up, we have a middleweight bout at 185 pounds between two American fighters, Brian Pooh Bear Battle and Treshawn Mr. Vicious Gore. Now, just a little background on these two fighters. They were supposed to fight in the Ultimate Fighter Series, but ended up Gore had to pull out. So kind of cool that the UFC was able to sign both guys and they're fighting now in the UFC. For Battle, he's 6-1 overall. He's a slight dog here at plus 130 from South Carolina, 27 years old. 6'1", high-weight of 77-inch reach. He's training currently out of Extreme Couture, I believe. You know, Tapology says, highest on MMA Charlotte. That may have been his prior gym. As for Mr. Gore, he's 3-0, undefeated. 
His thing is he hasn't fought in a while. We'll talk more about that. He's a minus 150 favorite in the money line from South Carolina. So two South Carolina guys actually scoring off in the UFC. 27 years old, so same age. Six foot in height, so one inch shorter. His reach number would be around 74 inches. So a little bit more of a reach disadvantage than more of a height disadvantage. Now, as for topology, Gore is a slight favorite, getting 60% of the votes here with 40% of the votes coming in for battle. I'm not sure what to think here. This is a tough fight, especially when you look at the inactivity of Gore, who hasn't fought in almost two years. You like battle story. He's won on Dana White Contender Series, got the family, you know, people like him. He beat Gilbert Urbina in 2021, August, this past year. Round one, rear naked choke. I mean, round two, rear naked choke. It looked good. But Urbina, not much of an opponent. And so you look at Treshawn Gore, who looks impressive. I mean, physically looks impressive. The guy looks legit. But man, he hasn't fought an MMA fight in almost two years. And so it kind of makes you concerned. Now, he did do some exhibition MMA bouts in 2021 where he had two wins. But it wasn't a full-on fight. Now, ironically enough, he fought Gilbert Urbina as well. So they both fought Gilbert Urbina, where Brian Battle beat him round two via rear naked choke. And Treshawn beat him round two via TKO KO. I'm going to go with Treshawn to win the fight. But I will have to tell you, this is a little bit of a risky spot. I wouldn't get invested here as a one-on-one -on -one match, meaning like I wouldn't put money on either fighter as an individual bet. I would put this into a parlay, maybe once or twice, don't get too heavy with it, you know what I'm saying? And then sort of just keep it moving. Because Brian Battle, I could see him with his length, his durability, that winning the fight. But then Treshawn Gore has that like pit bull mentality where I could see him getting inside the hips, inside the ribs, I mean, of Brian Battle, creating some damage, being that lower level fighter, hitting him in, down, down low, giving him some hooks. I just feel like this is a fight where you want to stay away from it because we don't know much about both fighters. But if I have to lean one way or another, I'm going to go towards Treshawn Gore. That's the breakdown, guys. Next up, we have a featherweight bat at 145 pounds between Julian Arosa and Steven Peterson. This will be a quick breakdown, guys. I believe that Julian Arosa is better than Steven Peterson in every single area except for one area. It's that chin, right? We all know Arosa has a bit of a chin issue. Um, that could show itself at any point. <laughs> so if the fight was like 10 rounds, I would choose Steven Peterson. Because over 10 rounds, at some point, that, that chin will come in, come into you know play. Julian Juicy J. Arosa. More skilled on the ground, I believe, than Steven Peterson. More skilled than BJJ. More skilled in wrestling. More skilled in striking. Higher volume. Better opponents he's fought, so better strength of schedule. He has all the reasons to be the favorite. It's that minus 310 number. You're like, oh, shit, dude, man. That's that's very chalky. Like, you want it to be like minus 225, 250. Like, you want to rationalize. He's a favorite, but he shouldn't be that much of a favorite. And then you have this matchup here. Now, Steven Peterson has a spinning back fist knockout in his resume. So that is, uh, you kind of think about that. You're like, oh, shit, you know. Arosa is going to win the fight. I'm on Arosa to win the fight. I'm not bringing it straight up. So no no straight up bets here. No probably bets. on. I mean, I'm sorry. No no prop bets here on the, on the side of Arosa. Probably wins by a submission or decision if he does win. I'm going to parlay him, but not aggressively. Here's the issue. At minus 310, you have to put $310 up to make 100 bucks. Will you do that on a guy who's got a chin issue? No, no. Hell no. You put him into like two or three small parlays. Nothing crazy. And then that's it. You move on. You wipe your hands. As for Peterson, if he comes in here and knocks out Arosa, everyone's going to be like, ah, oh, yeah, I saw it coming. I knew it. I knew this guy was going to get knocked out. He's chinny. But otherwise, how else will Superman Peterson win the fight? You know, like, we outgrapple Arosa? Probably not. 
probably not. Probably not. The numbers tell you no. Arosa is a very good grappler. His actual his grappling and wrestling is getting better as his career is moving on. The striking is impressive. He's a more volume striker. He has more strikes. Let's say, for example, he has more ways to hit Steven Peterson as opposed to Steven Peterson hitting him. So Peterson should win the fight. I'm sorry, sorry. Julian Arosa should win the fight. Should. <laughs> should. I would put this on the lower part of your parlays. So if you're going to do some parlays, put this into a few parlays, but do not overdo it because if Arosa gets knocked out, no one's going to be surprised. That's the breakdown, guys. Good luck with this fight. Next fight in the card is going to be a welterweight clash at 170 pounds between Shavkat Rahmanov from Kazakhstan and Carlston Harris from Guyana. Now, Harris is 17-4 overall, 5 in his last 5 fights, currently plus 180 underdog in this match. He's hailing out of Rio de Janeiro now, even though he's born in Guyana. 34 years old, 6 foot in height with 76 inch reach. He trains out of RFT, which is an excellent gym in Brazil. As for Shavkat, who goes by the Nomad, he's 14-0, undefeated prospect, 27 years old, minus 220 in the money line. He's 6 foot 1 in height, so he have a 1 inch height advantage. He's got a 77 inch reach, have a 1 inch reach advantage. He He's out of Sanford MMA. Now, looking at the public votes here on Tapology, it surprises me that Harris is only getting 13% of the votes here, 87% of the votes coming in for Rachmanov. Just surprised because of the fact that I think these guys are more evenly matched. They're both very dangerous, very high finish rate. We'll go over all the numbers, but I think people are definitely overlooking Carlton Harris, and he's a live dog in this spot. Looking at their striking numbers, Rachmanov is landing 2.67 strikes per minute, absorbing 1.27, so pretty good ratio. But look at Carlton Harris. Landing 5.27 strikes per minute, absorbing 1.27. So their absorption rate is the same, but Carlton Harris's output is almost double. That's one area where he could win a round or two in this fight. Looking at the takedown offense, Shavkat's landing 1.27 takedowns per 15 minutes, and we've got zero for Carlton Harris. At first glance, you're thinking, okay, so Carlton Harrison has, has no ground game, right? He can't wrestle, he can't grapple. On the contrary, he's a very good BJJ practitioner. He doesn't have very good offensive wrestling. So at some point here, his 100% takedown defense for Carlton Harris, it is, may get tested by Shavkat. And for Shavkat, he probably keeps his 100% takedown defense. The fight could see the ground at some point. But again, I have a lot of confidence in Carlton Harris. He's a good BJJ practitioner. He's got submissions. And so does Shavkat. I do think, we'll talk more about this, that in the clinch against defense on the ground, Shavkat should have a slight power and strength advantage. Let's talk about the background here of Shavkat Romanov. He's from Kazakhstan. He reps the big bushy hat, the one that you see uh, Khabib wearing. His is more like a grayish, I don't know, like looks more like a wolf, but he wears this big thing. Looks like he just killed an animal. He put it on his head. He's a former M1 global champion, three and two in an amateur, and he's two and oh in the UFC. So very good start. The biggest wins of his career. These are both UFC fighters. He beat Alex Oliveira 2020 by submission round one. And that was UFC 254. Khabib versus Gaethje. It just seems like not that long ago, but yes, Khabib versus Gaethje, UFC 254. He beats Alex Oliveira round one by sub. And I want to just talk about this. It's just, I'm being picky here. It's my opinion in watching that fight. And I would encourage you to watch that fight. It's short that Alex Oliveira just kind of gives up. It, it is it is a deep choke. It's a wonderful move by Shavkat. He pulls guard. He wraps his feet around, you know, the back of Oliveira. So he got, he's got it in there perfectly. But Cowboy, like, you see guys falling asleep, man. You see guys passing out. And I'm not questioning Cowboy. I don't fight mixed martial arts. So I'm not questioning his manhood. I'm just saying, if you tap out, like, and you seem like you're fine, you just stand up like, oh, I lost that fight, man. You got me. Uh, compared to a guy who's, like, unconscious being woken up, I, I got to sort of say, like, it is what it is. So in that fight... Nice win for Shavkat and a good test for him, beating a guy who's a submission master himself in Oliveira, Brazilian guy. But I just, you know, kind of taper that in terms of what the value of that win is. The prior win I'm going to talk about, Jun Young Park. 
2016, he wins by submission round two. And if you know Jun Young Park, he's a current UFC fighter. So two quality wins there over two guys that are currently in the UFC. The things I like about Shavkat, these are obvious points now. He has a very um, amazing grappling strength power in the clinch. He should have an advantage over a pretty thin fighter in Carlton Harris. So I think when you start, when you see the fight actually start, you'll notice that Shavkat just seems to have a bigger chest, a bigger guy, and probably loses and cuts and, and then gains more weight between the weigh-in and the fight day because he's just a very big man. I think that in this fight, he should have a power clinch advantage when they're working on the grappling against defense. I say that he should because Carlton Harris is crafty and he's by no means a slouch in those grappling situations. Obviously, he's undefeated at 14-0 and 2-0 on the UFC. Seven finishes by submission and six by TKO, so a balanced approach. Being over at Sanford MMA, he's surrounded by better teammates, UFC-level fighters, and I'm sure he's learning and growing from that environment. He was a favorite in his last two fights, and you'd like to see a guy as a favorite winning his fights. He was a minus 140 favorite against Oliveira. He finished in round one. He was a minus 300 favorite against Rosario. Is I believe that's how you pronounce that name. He won that fight via round two finish. He has a lower leg kick that he likes to use in combination. I just don't think he uses it enough. So, for example, watch the Oliveira fight. He'll land a one-two combination with his hands and a nice lower leg kick. The thing is, it doesn't happen enough for me. I understand that fight ended with grappling, but I'd like to see him, when he's got distance with a guy like Carlton Harris, use that lower leg kick. Don't use it just in combination. Just use it more often. Carlton Harris, if they have one little chink in his armor, he does have very small, like, calves, very thin legs. So maybe some lower leg kicks can do some damage and set some other things up there for Shavkat. He worked well in the clinch against Oliveira, and that's notable because Oliveira is a submission guy, a, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu master himself. And so when you saw Shavkat in the clinch there against the fence, he was serviceable, knew what he was doing, and it should be noted that he was the much taller fighter than Oliveira, but still was able to get the underhooks in, reverse position, and then pull off a very nice, technically perfect guillotine choke where Oliveira, I don't know what he was thinking there. My concerns with Shavkat, he's not been very active the past few years. For example, he fought once 2021, he fought once 2020, and he fought twice 2019. Now, 2020, you got to give him a pass there because he had three fights that were actually canceled. 2021, he had a good fight against Prezeris, but that guy's not a very high-level opponent, so he hasn't really fought anybody since Oliveira almost two years. He has limited head movement. I'm being picky here now because I think the guy's got a lot of talent. I like Shavkat. I'm like most people. This guy's got a ton of potential, could be a future contender for a title in this division, but the head movement isn't phenomenal. And when you watch how the fight first starts against Oliveira, especially Oliveira's a quirky guy. He's punching from weird angles. You saw that Shavkat did not have great head movement and his head is very high. There's no tuck in his chin. Could that be a problem against a guy like Carlton Harris, who's a, a good striker, who has 76 inch reach, only one inch shorter than Shavkat? where Shavkat usually is the guy with the much longer reach. In this case, it's going to be just about equal. Yeah. Could it be a problem with the guy who's landing 5.27 strikes per minute compared to your 2.67? Yeah. Now, the last thing about Shavkat, the most obvious point, he hasn't really been tested. The Oliveira he faced in that match, eh. The Prezeras he faced, eh. This will be his best match by far, and I think it's going to be the best fight in the card. Both guys have so much potential, and even though Carlton Harris is 34, He's still young at heart. He's got a lot of energy. He doesn't come off as like a 34-year-old has-been or a guy who's on the way out. His record speaks for itself. Shavkat 27, up-and-coming prospect. I expect this to be a very good fight, and it probably gets finished inside the distance because you guys both have such a high finish rate. Now, looking here at Carlton Harris, born in Guyana, moved to Brazil when he was young, began mixed martial arts training. Now he claims Brazil as his home. He fought in Brave CF, UAE Warriors, and Shido Brazil prior to joining the UFC. 2-0 record in the UFC. One win being 2021 win over Christian Aguilera via round one Anaconda Choke, and then 2021 win over Impa Kasagana via round one Ground and Pound. He sort of showed you there in those two fights, he's versatile. He could choke you out, he could knock you out. 
against Impa Kasagana, he went toe-to-toe with him. Impa's a banger, and he just simply clipped him and, and ended him. Christian Aguilera, that fight wasn't as impressive. I'm not trying to load up on Christian Aguilera. I just don't think he's that good of a fighter. Notably about Carlton Harris, he started his career off 1-2 and two before going 16-2 and two after that point. He's a long fighter. You can notice that by the way he's built, long and lean, but still going to have a 1-inch reach disadvantage and a 1-inch height disadvantage here against Shavkat. I noticed that one of his post-fight interviews seems to be like a very emotional guy, positive emotion, like very appreciative of the opportunity, thanking Dana White, thanking all of his teammates, his coaches, just seems like the kind of guy who's appreciative and enjoyable to be around. The most notable opponents that Carlton Harris has fought Impa Kasagane, 2021, beat him, knocked him out. Christian Aguilera, UFC fighter, 2021, put him to sleep, round one. Wellington Harris, he fought him back 2016 in Immortal FC, he beat him. 2015, decision win in XFC over Michelle Pereira, current UFC fighter. He also beat Jolton Luderbach, 2013, by decision in Beteti Combat 14. And he also has a win over Sagid Izagamaev. Izagamaev, who's fighting for UAE, UAE, is a Russian fighter with a 20-2 and two record. This is a big area for me as to why I'm on the side of Carlton Harris. I like Shavkat, but Shavkat does not have Impa, Christian, Wellington Terman, Michelle Pereira, Jolton Litterbach, and Saeed Izagamaev on his topology. Those guys don't exist. He hasn't fought that level of opponent yet. You can't ignore this. I think if you put a minus 220 spot here on Shavkat, you're being a little irresponsible for a fighter like Carlton Harris, who's got more than a dog chance here to win the fight. Some areas about Carlton Harris's game that I like a lot in this matchup. Number one, he's going to possibly have a quickness advantage. Now, he may give up a little bit of a power advantage in the clinch, but on the feet, I expect more output from Carlton Harris. I expect him to slip punches that Shavkat can adjust to at times, and I expect that high chin for Shavkat to be available for Carlton to hit. He won his last fight against Katsaganai, which we mentioned, he was a plus 100 dog in that fight. Came in there as a plus money dog, and he won that fight. Here he is again around plus money. He's got a high finish rate. Last five fights, he's won all those fights by finish. Five fights in a row via KO or sub-finish. Carlton Harris is also a very durable fight. Only been finished once in his career, 2018, via round one TKO against Jarrah Al-Salawai. He's also got a good strength of schedule that Carlton Harris has a much better strength of schedule here compared to Shavkat. Something about Carlton Harris, which is very deceptive, is his power. The power in his hands is, is there. Look at the Impa Kasaganai fight. They stand toe-to-toe, and Impa has power, and he ends up clipping Impa. He's got good boxing and tight. It keeps everything in nice and tight, good hooks, and he's got power. So you can't forget about the power that Carlton Harris has. He's also an active fighter, especially at his age of 34. He fought three times in 2021. He fought once in 2020 and once in 2019. My concerns are Carlton Harris. Number one, he's got very thin legs, okay? So he's got these legs where I feel like if Shavkat attacks them and uses the lower leg kicks, it could be a problem. Now, will Harris adjust? Yes. But just the physiology of it, you can't ignore the fact that his legs are very, very thin. They look like they're susceptible to some damage. Another concern is age. It's not a big age difference, and it's not like Carlton Harris is about to be 40, but at 34, he's giving up seven years a year to a younger fighter who's very good, very up and coming, maybe round two, round three, late, late in the fight. Shavkat's the fresher wrestler, the fresher, fresher grappler, has a little bit more to offer than Carlton Harris, who's getting a little bit older. I'm just speculating because I haven't seen anything from Carlton Harris that would suggest he has a bad gas tank. The guy seems to be in phenomenal shape. On the ground, that's where he's going to have his biggest challenge here with Shavkat. But on the feet, I think Harris clearly has more weapons, has more in his arsenal, more kicks, more strikes. He should look quicker, should be faster. He should land those two, three punch combinations while Shavkat's landing one punch. Carlton Harris clearly has the experience advantage, not because he fought, what, six or seven more fights. It's the quality of opponent. The strength of schedule matters. Fighter IQ, I'm going to give them both the same rating with maybe a slight bump for Carlton Harris only because he's fought better guys. But you can't ignore that a guy starting his career off 14-0 and 2-0 on the UFC. I like that for Shavkat. Clearly a smart fighter. Cardio, 
about equal. These guys have both shown to be in very good shape late in the fight. They pull off submissions late. They pull off finishes late. This shouldn't be a cardio fight. I believe both guys go toe-to-toe -to -toe and at some point get a finish, but not because of fatigue. Finishing-wise, I give them both the same grade. Boxing-wise, I give an edge to Carlton Harris. I believe he's quicker, more volume, and better technically, whereas Shavkat, he'll have the advantage of the grappling in the wrestling area. Now, some props to consider for this fight. I think the fight does not go the distance. That's minus 250. A little chalky, but I believe that's right. This fight probably does not go the distance. One of these two guys either submits each other or they KO each other. It's plus 100 for Shavkat to finish the fight and plus 300 for Carlton Harris. I was shocked. Again, like no respect here for Carlton Harris. A guy who's won five straight fights by finish. Some of those are in the UFC. I like Shavkat, but my goodness, he's still a young guy. Can he make a mistake here? Give up his back, give up his neck, and get submitted by a guy like Carlton Harris? That, that of course, could happen. So at plus 300 is a prop that I at least want to pay attention to. That's the breakdown for this fight, guys. I may be more excited to see this fight than any fight in the card. I think it's just so evenly matched, and I'm so curious who wins the fight. Whoever loses the fight, by the way, not, not the end of the world. They're gonna be. They're still going in a positive direction. Even for, for example, Carlton Harris. If he loses the fight at 34, he's fine. Dude's okay. 17 and four record. Five of his last five fights. He's on top of it. I think he matches up well with a lot of different guys in the division. The question here becomes. Who's the one who takes another step forward towards challenging for the title at some point? Who's the one who makes the move to go up in the rankings? And I'm just not sure who that is offhand. So since I'm not sure, that plus money looks a lot more attractive. I think Carlton Harris is a live dog. I hate going against the Kazakhstani fighter. I hate going against the Russians because they're so damn good. These are both good fighters. Follow the numbers. The numbers tell me at plus 180 to plus 190 to plus 200 range, Carlton Harris clearly has the value here. I like this fight. Let me know what you guys think. Like, subscribe. Give me some comments. Give me some feedback. And as always... Please take advantage of our free video library. If you look at the description, you're going to find four or five links for the prior fights that we went over when we reviewed this film. Thanks for joining us, guys. The co-main event for UFC Vegas 47 is going to be a middleweight bout at 185 pounds between two American fighters, Puna Heli Soriano, who goes by Puna, and Nick Maximo. Maximo is 7-0. He hails from Chico, California, 24 years old, 6 foot in height with 76 in treat. He trains out of Nick Diaz Academy. As for Puna, 8-1 overall, 4-1 in his last five fights. He's from Hawaii, where he was born and raised. 29 years old, 5'11 height with a 72 and a half inch reach. He trains out of Extreme Couture. So height and reach-wise, there's an advantage there for Nick Maximo. Looking at Tapology's public numbers, Soriano's the favorite, getting 74% of the votes here. Only 26% of the votes coming in for Maximo. His parents are from Russia, but he did grow up in California. He wrestled at Chico Hills High School. And they went off to Calacamas Community College. I want to give a big shout-out to Calacamas Community College because one of my old buddies there, Richard Jensen, he had a whole special done on him on ESPN. He wrestled there years ago. So it's a good wrestling program. It's a junior college program in the Northwest. Didn't wrestle a lot there, but got a good foundation. Talked a lot about it when he was interviewed in terms of that was his like segue into being able to become a mixed martial artist and how much he learned there being at Calacamus. Looking at the numbers side by side, the two fighters, Soriano's landing 4.44 strikes per minute, absorbing 4.20. He's taking down his opponents at 1.58 takedowns per 15 minutes. So not a very aggressive wrestler for Punahale, but he does have at least about a takedown and a half per fight. Now, takedown defense for Punahale, that's going to be tested here. He's at 100%. If you watch Nick Maximoff fight, obviously the numbers tell you there are three takedowns per 15 minutes. He's going to try to get a takedown. We're going to see if that number will hold up there for Soriano. For Nick Maximoff, he's landing 1.70 strikes per minute, absorbing 1.10. He's also defending at 100% rate. Again, I don't believe Punahale is going to make it a big attempt to take down Maximoff. But Maximoff is definitely going to test the takedown defense there of Punahale. Let's look at the background here on Punahale Soriano. As we mentioned, he was born and raised in Hawaii, where he was a state champ at 171 pounds. He's also a judo state champion while he was in high school. So, guy does some judo, does some wrestling, he's well-rounded. He wrestled in college at a Division III school called Warburg College in Iowa. He did earn All-American honors there in 2014 at 197 pounds. Dan Ige, a good friend of his, 
who's also from Hawaii, that was the person who put the idea in Punahale's head. Like, listen, you're a good wrestler. You've had a good career. Try some mixed martial arts. He had a 4-0 amateur record. He made his pro debut in 2017. He's got five years pro experience. He's got a 3-0 combined record between PFL, Titan FC, and LFA. He fought on Dana White's Contender Series in 2019, where he won via decision over Jamie Pickett. He's 2-1 in the UFC with two KO finishes and one decision lost. The biggest wins of the career for Punahale, he beat Dusko Todorovic round 1 KO 2021. Now, if you don't remember, Todorovic came into that fight undefeated at 10-0, so that was the first loss of his career. Kind of brings me to this fight, right, for Nick Maximoff. He's also undefeated. Anyway, his other big win was Jamie Pickett. He beat him by decision 2019 on Data West Contender Series. Those are the two biggest wins there of the career for Punahale. The things I like about the way Punahale fights, he's a good finisher. Six of his eight wins have been by finish. Four of those by KO and two by sub. He has a lot of power in his hands. That's clearly his most dangerous attacking weapon. That's what he brings to the table. He's not the most technical boxer, not a great submission artist, and a good wrestler, but it doesn't lead to BJJ finishes for him usually, but his striking power is not to be played with. Punahale is also a very active fighter. He averages one MMA fight per year and usually one to two grappling bouts per year. He's durable as well. He's never been finished in a fight. His Achilles heel would be taking him to second round, third round, and seeing if that cardio holds up, but he's not been finished so far. For Punahale, the biggest kryptonite for him is the cardio, as we mentioned. So the main reason he couldn't beat Brandon Allen was the cardio. He just runs out of gas, whereas Brandon Allen has a little more in the tank. And then if you look at the fight against Todorovic, that's interesting because the post-fight interview says a lot. He admits in the post-fight interview that he's really happy that Herb Dean stopped the fight because he was exhausted. The fight had not gone very far. It wasn't an exhausting fight. But for a guy, and I'm glad he did it. He was honest. After the fight, he's like, I'm really glad he stopped it because like, I was tired. Like, dude, you were winning the fight. You were punishing the guy. Why couldn't you just manage your cardio better? Big questions there about Punahale Soriano in the third round if it gets to that point. And with Nick Maximo, he doesn't mind the fight going longer. His cardio has checked out a little better here when you watch his prior film. Now, for Punahale, as it is for Nick Maximo, they both have not really been tested. And for Punahale, he has not been hurt. We don't know how he's going to react when he gets really chin-checked. Will we see it in this fight? Not sure. But when you have that out there, that variable of, like, we don't know how this guy responds when he gets hurt. Whereas a guy like, let's say, Justin Gaethje or a guy like Michael Chandler or a guy like Oliveira, these top-level fighters that we've seen them fight so much more, we know how they're going to react when they get in a situation that's going to be tough because we've seen it before. We don't know with Soriano. My last issue with Soriano, at times he throws such high-energy shots, big, big punches. When they don't land, he's off balance, he's slightly gassed, and it leads to like a, a mental fatigue as well. So he has these big punches, he has big power, but it's so big and it's so high energy and it's so explosive, it depletes his energy and leaves him in some compromising situations. Will that matter against a guy like Nick Maximoff, who's young at 24, doesn't have amazing striking? I'm not sure, but it could lead to an unbalanced situation for Punahale where Maximoff gets a takedown. As for Nick Maximoff, the first-generation Russian wrestled in community college, wrestled in California, high school career was decent. He had a 6-0 amateur record. He went pro 2018, so he's been a pro for only four years. He's 5-5 five five in grappling bouts, which that doesn't tell you much other than the fact that he's active in grappling. That's good. You know, I don't know how much it translates to mixed martial arts wins because it's a whole different sport in itself, but he's active in grappling bouts. He fought LFA prior to joining the UFC. He was 1-0 in LFA, and he won via decision on Dana White Contenders Race in 2020 over Asuka Kota. At that time, Nick Maximoff was only 22 years old. The guy's very, very young. The most notable win for Nick Maximoff was his win over Cody Brundage, and that was on UFC 266 Volkanovski versus Ortega. He was 23 years old at the time. He got the win by decision, so that was a nice win for him to open up his UFC career, but that's his most notable opponent. Like Punahale, he has not really been tested. We just don't know how these guys are going to respond when they fight better opponents, and maybe you could argue that this right here would be the biggest test for both of them. The things I like about Nick Maximoff, 
He's clearly undefeated. He's got a wrestling grappling background. He should have a wrestling advantage in this fight and a grappling advantage. He trains at a very well-known gym with good fighters, Nick Diaz Academy. He's going to be surrounded by guys that are in the UFC. He's going to have that edge. He's talked about in interviews how he likes the training partners, the experience. It's all there. He's got a good finish rate. He's finished five of his seven wins, and he's never been finished before as a pro or as an amateur. My concerns with Nick Maximoff, as we mentioned, hasn't been tested before. And here's some details on his prior fights. He was a minus 475 favorite when he went to his Dana White Contenders fight when he won by decision. You don't want to see guys at minus 475 winning by decision. He was also a minus 400 favorite in his only LFA match in 2020 when he won via round two submission over Johnny James Jr. Now, he wins that fight by round two submission. It's good. But just putting it out there, he's been a big favorite at times when maybe it wasn't as warranted. The competition has been very low. He has not fought guys that have, I mean, he's never beaten someone that has a UFC win. Put it that way. The fights we watched to break down this film, we watched Soriano versus Allen, Soriano versus Todorovic, Maximov versus Koda, and Maximov versus Brundage. As usual, if you've come to our channel before and watched our films, those four links for those fights, you'll find those in the description. They're there for you. It's our free video library. Take a glance if you want to watch some prior fights on these two fighters. The last few notes I have the two fighters, comparing side-by-side -side experience, about the same. It makes sense. Eight and one, seven or no, about nine fights, seven fights. These guys are very similar in terms of experience. IQ-wise, I'm going to give a slight, slight edge, ever so slight to Soriano. I just feel like he's fought a little bit better of competition. He's fought two more fights, a little more experience in the cage. That might matter just ever so slightly. Cardio-wise, I'm giving the advantage to Nick Maximoff. I got to see Puna Hele Soriano go to decision, not be too sloppy, finish a fight on his feet, and not go post-fight interview about, oh, I'm so tired. Like, I want to see that. Finishing-wise, I like Nick Maximoff's finishing, right? He's five of seven fights he's finished. But I think the finishing ability here is on the edge of Punahale Soriano, especially if he forces the fight to be in the feet. Can he defend the takedowns, keep the fight in the feet? And if he does, I believe the punching power of Soriano is where he has a chance over 15 minutes to maybe catch Nick Maximoff. Boxing-wise, it's amazing I can give Soriano an edge here because he's a very sloppy boxer and he throws very heaving big shots. But for Nick Maximoff, he's a prototypical wrestler, okay? So their boxing technique's probably the same. You know, about equal, but power-wise, I give the edge to Soriano, so that's why I'm giving an edge in boxing. Grappling-wise, I'm giving the edge to Nick Maximoff. He is the better overall wrestler, I believe, at this time, even though Punahale is a former state champion, All-American, all that stuff. It just seems like Nick Maximoff spends more time training and grappling and wrestling, and obviously he does more grappling bouts as well. How does it work out? Then the fight is not going to decision. I believe either Punahale completely gasses out, and Maximoff takes advantage of him, maybe even submits him. Or Punahale connects with a shot. So the fight not going to decision would be a prop I would look at. The other two props I would look at would be Punahale by KO and Nick Maximoff by decision. That's our breakdown, guys. I'm on Soriano to win the fight. I don't have a world of confidence here because there's a lot of variables. But if you have to bet here one side over the other, I think that 195 on Punahale Soriano, it's got some decent value. He probably should win the fight. I believe Nick Maximoff a little outgunned here. And it should be said, this fight... It's kind of odd it's even a co-main event. No disrespect here, but these guys are so inexperienced. Great opportunity for both guys. I'm on Punahele Soriano, the Hawaiian, to win the fight. We'll see what happens, guys. Let me know how you feel on your comments. Give me some feedback. Like, unlike, subscribe, unsubscribe, all those different things. Thanks for joining us, guys. Have a good one. The main event for UFC Vegas 47 is going to be a middleweight clash at 185 pounds between the American fighter Sean Tarzan Strickland and Jack the Joker Hermanson from Sweden. Now, Hermanson is 22-6 and six overall, 3-2 in his last five fights. Currently plus 175 on the main line. He's 33 years old. 6 foot 1 in height with a 77.5 inch reach. He trains at a frontline academy. As for Sean the Tarzan Strickland, he's 24-3 and three overall, 5-0 in his last five fights. Currently minus 210 on the main line. He hails from Riverside, California. 31 years old. He's also 6'1 in height with a 76 inch reach. He's out of Team Quest and also does some training out of Kings MMA. 
height and reach wise, these guys are very similar, age wise similar, and experience wise almost identical in terms of the fights they've both fought. Looking at the topology numbers, 71% of the votes here coming in for Strickland, only 29% coming in for Hermanson. I do agree. I like Sean Strickland to win the fight. Jack Hermanson's landing 4.86 strikes per minute, absorbing 3.36, so positive ratio. Sean's a little busier, landing 5.45 strikes per minute, absorbing 3.73. For takedown offense, Jack's landing just over two takedowns for 15 minutes, and Sean's landing 1.32. So a little more activity there for Jack Hermanson in the wrestling department. For takedown defense, Hermanson's defending at 75% rate. And for Sean Strickland, 82%. Now let's talk about the background of Jack Hermansen. He's from Sweden. He's actually got dual nationality, Norwegian and Swedish nationality. Two and two amateur record. He went pro in 2010. So he's been a pro for 12 years. He fought in Cage Warriors prior to the UFC. He signed with Bellator way back 2012. So about 10 years ago. Unfortunately, he went 0-2 in Bellator. They let him go. He signed with the UFC 2016. He's got a 9-4 overall UFC record. He uses an orthodox boxing stance with a very high guard, which is good for defending you know, high punches, not so great for the body punches, which we'll talk about. The biggest wins of his career for Jack Hermanson, that is. He beat Kevin Gaslam round one heel hook 2020. He beat Evan Shabazian by decision last year. And he beat Gerald Mearshot round one guillotine choke in 2018. His most notable opponents, he fought Marvin Vittori, who he lost to by decision. Five-round fight in 2020, so showed a lot of durability there. Went toe-to-toe -to -toe with a very good level fighter. He lost round one TKO 2017 to Tiago Santos and round two TKO loss 2019 to Jared Cannonier. The things I like about Jack Hermanson, he's a solid wrestler. As you can see by the numbers, averaging two takedowns for 15 minutes. So he does have some wrestling ability. In the fight against Shabazian, he lost round one, but round two comes out, uses the wrestling, pulls him to the ground, gets top control, position control, the same thing in round three, and in effect, basically takes round two, round three, and get the decision win in a tough fight where he lost round one. So he knows how to wrestle. He knows how to use it to help him, you know, get a win, secure points. Jack Hermanson's also a very active fighter. He's had seven bouts in the last three years. Last year, he had one MMA fight and one wrestling bout. He actually wrestled against Kamzat Chemaev, and he lost that wrestling bout. He fought twice in 2020 and three times in 2019. Jack Hermanson, surprisingly, has a very good finish rate, 77% to be exact. He's also a very consistent fighter. He's only had back-to-back -back losses one time in his career. That was way back 2012, 2013. Now, recently, he's been like back and forth. I looked at his topology. He's on that win again, lose again, win again, lose again. So going back to 2019, he loses to Jared Cannonier. Next fight against Kevin Gaslam, he wins. Next fight against Marvin Fittori, he loses. Next fight against Edmund Shabazian, he wins. Then he wrestles Kamzat Chemaev in November of last year, and he lost. Jack showed he's got some good cardio and some good durability. He went the full five rounds against Vittori when they fought. And in that fight, Vittori does knock him down, I believe, in round one or round two. So it's not an easy fight. He has to survive that, show some good survival skills, and then go in the full distance. My concerns are Jack Hermanson. After the first round, his shoots, his takedown attempts, they get lazier and lazier, which makes sense. People are getting tired round two, round three. But it becomes a very half-ass attempt. If he does that against an athletic guy like Sean Strickland with a good gas tank in round three or round four, round five, there won't be any takedowns. He'll just be able to easily defend it. So I fear for Jack Hermanson, if he cannot get a rate takedown in round one or round two, he's going to be too tired. His technique's not going to be there. He'll be coming in lazy. He'll be slow. Sean will be able to read it and see it coming. He had a hard time dealing with Jared Cannonier's power. Now, that shouldn't be a factor here. I don't believe Sean Strickland has a lot of KO power. He's got volume, yes, but KO power, not so much. But against Jared Cannonier, when Jack fought him, you could see Jack had to adjust. He didn't like the power punches. He he wasn't comfortable getting hit by Jared Cannonier. He ends up losing that fight by KO. But before the KO happened, you could see he was not comfortable with the power difference between him and Jared Cannonier. 67% of the time when he loses, 
he also gets finished. Good finisher for Jack Hermanson, but he also tends to get finished at a pretty high rate himself. He lacks side-to-side head movement. In boxing exchanges, a prototypical boxer will tell you, you got to have side-to-side head movement, right? Duck, move. It can't just be back and forth. He does that thing of where he just moves his head back. There's no side-to-side head movement. Part of it's fatigued. If he does that with someone like Strickland, who's going to just be in his face constantly throwing punches, it's going to just make it easier for Sean to land punches, basically. Now, looking at Sean Strickland. If you don't know his background, he grew up in California. Unfortunately, his father was very abusive, so the household he grew up in was very toxic. And then it played its way out into his life as a young kid. He becomes a neo-Nazi, gets kicked out of every single school that he was ever enrolled in, and gets off the wrong foot. He ended up getting rid of all that shit. He's no longer a neo-Nazi, doesn't follow that stuff. He has friends that are minorities. He's been, he's been supported and, and, and helped by people that are minorities, and that was what helped him to sort of open his mind. But a lot of it came from his father. His father was a toxic dude who had a bad impact on him at a young age. So at the age of 14, Sean finds mixed martial arts. And two years later, at the age of 16, he's like, I'm going pro. Look at his topology. He fought his first pro mixed martial arts fight at the age of 17. He made his UFC debut at the age of 23. A former king of the cage middleweight champion. He had a bad motorcycle accident in 2018, which actually required him to get knee surgery and I believe to get part of his spleen removed. He has fully recovered from that. He started his pro career off 15-0 before losing to Santiago Pantanibio. And his sparring partner is Marvin Vittori, the most notable opponents that Sean has fought against. He fought Kamara Usman, lost to him 2017 by decision. He was like 26 years old when that fight happened. And you could see in that fight the potential of Sean Strickland. And you could also see the reason why he lost. It was just wrestling. Kamara Usman got body locks. It was boring. People were booing. Ultimately, Sean could not get out of the body locks, could not get out of the position, and he lost strictly because of the wrestling. That was it. And that's the biggest weakness in Sean's game. It's the wrestling. He also lost against Santiago Pantanibio by decision in 2015. The biggest wins of his career for Sean Strickland, that is, he beat Court McGee, Uriah Hall, and Christoph Jocko. The things I like about Sean Strickland's game, he's an active fighter just like Jack Hermanson. He's fought five bouts in the last two years. He had two mixed martial arts bouts last year and a grappling bout, and he had two mixed martial arts fights in 2020. Very durable. He went five rounds with Uriah Hall. If you know anything about Uriah Hall, very hard puncher. The guy packed some heat. Sean took those punches very well, went the full distance. His cardio checked out. He looked great. Matter of fact, Sean's only been finished one time in his career. That was 2018 versus Seleski. That was a round one TKO. He's on a five-fight winning streak. A high-volume striker. Probably one of the highest-volume strikers you'll see in this division. He has a high winning percentage as well. 88% winning percentage. The quality losses we mentioned, right? He lost to Usman, Pantanibio, Zaliski. All guys that are UFC-level caliber guys. And not just UFC guys, but quality UFC opponents. My concerns about Sean Strickland now. He does have a low finish rate. A lot of his fights are now going to decision. Five of his last seven wins have gone to decision. He holds his chin up high. Sean has a very... Muay Thai type of stance. His chin is up very high. His guard's not up high with him. He's got a cocky sort of stance. I believe that's partially because he's young. He's brash. He's not worried about taking some punches. And most of the people he fights against, like in this fight here against Jack, I don't think he's going to be respecting the the power of Jack. I don't think he's going to be worried about Jack hurting him. You'll notice his chin is up high. His guard's kind of open. He's not really worried about taking a punch. He's more worried about delivering. Okay, He's not worried about getting anything in returns. You might notice that with this fight. I don't think it's going to cost him the fight, but in the future... I'd like to see him shore that up and have a little better of a guard, have his chin down. His wrestling is more or less non-existent. Like, no BJJ, no wrestling. Does he train it? Yes, of course he does. But it's not part of his game. If you ask him what he wants to do, he wants to just stand and trade. At some point, Jack Hermanson will try to get the fight to the ground. Just don't see how he's going to be very successful. Sean knows that. I believe Sean will use good techniques to go ahead and defend those takedowns. The fights we watched to break down this film, we watched Sean Strickland versus Hall. 
Strickland versus Jocko, Strickland versus Usman, Hermanson versus Cannoneer, Hermanson versus Shabazian, and Hermanson versus Vittori. Those six fights and those six links, as usual, are in the description if you want to take a look at those films on your own. The last few notes I have on the fighters. Experience-wise, I don't have an edge here for either fighter. They've both fought the same amount of fights. Caliber of competition, maybe there's an edge for Strickland, but still, experience-wise, these guys are very similar, even age-wise, only two years apart. IQ, also very similar. I can't give an edge to either fighter. I want to give an edge to Strickland because I feel like he's fought the better competition. But as I've mentioned, the grappling and wrestling is a big void in his game. He's got to shore that up. Now, cardio, I'm going to give an edge to Sean Strickland. I believe he will be the fresher fighter round four, round five. It'll be noticeable. Finishing ability, neither guy is an amazing finisher right now at this point in their career. But for Jack Hermanson, the numbers don't lie. He does have a pretty good finish rate, and he also gets finished himself, too. In this fight, does he finish Sean Strickland? Does he knock out Sean Strickland? Anything's possible with mixed martial arts. I don't see it happening. As we mentioned, Sean Strickland has shown durability. In the distance with Uriah Hall, I think Uriah Hall's got more power than Jack Hermanson, so I just don't think that's going to happen here. If anything, I see more of a fatigue finish where Sean does a lot of volume, a lot of volume striking to Jack Hermanson, and Jack just like, I, I had enough here. I'm basically tapping out TKO. And for boxing, there's an edge for Sean Strickland. Jack Hermanson has good boxing skills, but the volume, the pace, the technique of Strickland, which reminds me a little bit of Nate Diaz at times, it's not, a, it's not hard punching, but it's snapping punches. It's good technique. And if you're not careful, it starts to add up. Like when he fought Brandon Allen, Brandon Allen didn't realize those small little punches, those little rabbit punches in round one, round two, they started to add up. And next thing you know, he was hurt. So Sean does a good job of chipping away. And I believe he's got the boxing edge in this fight. The grappling advantage should be with Jack Hermanson, but I don't see amazing elite level Jack Hermanson grappling in his prior fights. He should be the better grappler. But if he is, it's going to be ever so slightly. The breakdown here has me looking at this fight as a stand-up fight the entire time. I don't think it hits the ground. And if it does, it's going to be right back to the feet. I believe Sean is stronger in the clinch. He'll get up to his feet quite faster and force the fight to be on the feet. The distance prop is minus one time for the fight just going the full five rounds. I think it does go five rounds. These guys are both durable. They're very equally matched. And again, Sean is not much of a finisher at this point in his career. Now, for Sean to finish the fight by submission or TKO, that's plus 160 as a prop. And for Sean to win by decision is plus 175. Now, I write at minus 210 on the money line. That's not bad. There's some value there. I like Sean Strickland to win the fight. I think it could be by TKO because, again, he overwhelms Jack. Or it could be by decision. When I first looked at the fight, the first glance I had here, I was like, minus 210, Sean Strickland. No-brainer, right? Then I did the tape study. This is a no-brainer, guys. It's almost a slam dunk. I think Sean Strickland gets the win. I think Jack is going to be a formidable opponent. He's going to fight a good fight. But the reality is, Sean is going places, man. I think the UFC likes him. They like his brand. I like his, his attitude. And I like the guy, too. Came from very humble beginnings. So I'm rooting for the guy. I think 2022 is going to be a good year for him. Until he fights the elite-level guys like Usman, I think he runs through guys like Jack Hermanson. That's the breakdown, guys. Please like and subscribe if you haven't done so already. Peace. In the episode, guys, the main card picks that we like, we like Sean Strickland, Punahela Soriano, Carlston Harris, Brandon Allen, Trey Sean Gore, and Julian Arosa. The ones we like the most... The like hashtag lock of the nights, Sean Strickland, Punahele, Brendan Allen. From there, next most confident pick would be Julian Arosa, then Trey Sean Gore, and then Carlton Harris as our dog pick on the main card. My issue with Brian Battle and Gore is the, the long time that, that Gore's been out of the octagon. And for Julian Arosa, my bigger issue is that chalky number of like minus 300 range because he's a good fighter, better everywhere than Steven Peterson, but he's got a chin issue. Best of luck at this fight card, guys. As usual, take advantage of the film library that's in the description, and we'll see you guys soon. Take care.